noticed it's been a few months since the last update, and I've noticed too. I am working diligently on the next critical analysis episode, but I've also realized that I need to accept that long-form critical analyses take me a really long time to write. So I've decided that I'm going to start putting out these small, interstitial, pure weird shit episodes, hopefully at a pace of once every two weeks. They'll have the patented Priya oddball perspective, but hopefully boiled down to its purest and most concise essence. Now, I also have to admit that I'm not interested in doing pure life updates. Quite frankly, I want to get weirder. I started this podcast specifically to indulge my creative id, and I am going to wallow in it. So, I spent a while coming up with a creative structure that, I hope, will support short, frequent, yet thoughtful updates, and I believe I found it. You've probably heard of psychohistory, the fictional science of mathematically predicting the future, created by Isaac Asimov in the Foundation series. In fact, there's an entire not-that-great adaptation that just aired on Apple TV+. It's in the zeitgeist for the same reason so many buzzy shows have been about religion, philosophy, and morality, which is, of course, our ongoing social crisis. The primary symptom of this crisis is the ongoing global rise of fascism, most recently demonstrated by the convoy in Canada. But the crisis itself is deeper. Specifically, it is the conditions that have allowed these kinds of fascist power displays to continue. It's our blatantly unrepresentative government that consists solely of people chosen for their ability to socialize with donors rather than be leaders. It's our news media that has spent decades telling us that truth is two privileged people performatively debating via soundbites. It's the malicious profiteering of our ownership class, now very nearly a hereditary aristocracy, that has driven up the cost of living while working with the government to ensure that wages don't keep up. It's our increasing public recognition of how unjust our society continues to be, and the despair of realizing how much we were lied to before people could share their stories directly with the public. It's the pandemic that drags on ceaselessly because our leaders don't have the will to implement measures that would make everyone's lives easier. It's the climate apocalypse that we've known about for decades, which is now bearing down on us with grim inevitability. It's the relationships that have frayed beyond repair as we fragmented ourselves into ever smaller social bubbles to withstand this turbulence. But most of all, the crisis is about our collective inability to imagine any kind of different future. Science fiction has been mired in the dystopian present for years. Our biggest media events are adaptations and reboots. Even progressive and leftist solutions all overtly reference the past, from communism to the Green New Deal. It's almost as if, 
having watched the future backfire so spectacularly, we've come to a social agreement to avoid productive imagination, for fear that it will only make everything worse. Even tech, supposedly the engine of innovation in our economy, is spinning itself out over speculative follies that are as far from real innovation as Mars is from being habitable. So I, admittedly kind of a tech bro, with a taste for both extreme systematizing and extreme drama, have been pondering psychohistory. And specifically, what I've been pondering is how little pushback it's received in popular discourse. Usually when sci-fi authors posit entire new sciences, someone is willing to come along and explain why they're bullshit. But no one even seems interested in refuting psychohistory. And I've come to believe that that's because, to some extent, we all think it makes sense. Even though none of us knows how to do a psychohistorical calculation, or even exactly what that means, the idea that it's somehow possible to feels so obvious that there just isn't all that much to argue with. One attempt that I mentioned in the previous episode is Strauss and Howe's generational theory, which predicted a big crisis around 2020 by extrapolation from previous cycles of American history. But the timing is pretty much the only thing they got right. More recently, fields like behavioral economics, cultural evolution, cleodynamics, and even econophysics have sprung up to try to fill this intellectual gap. But because they're actual serious scientists with careers on the line, they have to restrict themselves to modeling accepted quantifiable data like cyclic spikes in violence, which just replicate the Strauss and Howe predictions since they're built on the exact same data. Luckily, I am not any kind of serious person. I am an overconfident asshole with a cheap microphone. And I think that there is a huge factor that everyone else trying to develop psychohistory has missed. They've got the complex math and the history, but they're missing the psycho. Let me rephrase. The whole point of psychohistory is to predict the actions of human beings, who are not just free agents, but agents with advanced cognition. Indeed, if we weren't, there'd be nothing to predict. So I want to approach psychohistory from a predominantly cognitive perspective, and not cognitive in the academic sense, but in the experiential sense. Everything humans do, political cycles included, definitionally arises out of our subjective experience of our own cognition. And while that experiential aspect is commonly considered too wishy-washy for science, my feeling from having consumed both a lot of art and a lot of media for the past several years is that there's a structure embedded in them that is logical enough to support an emergent mathematics of sociology, aka psychohistory. I don't yet know exactly what that structure is or how to measure it, but I think this platform is how I want to figure that out. It's public enough that you all can tell me exactly when and how I'm wrong, while also private enough that no one can stop me from indulging whatever fever dream enters my head in any given week. And that's important to me from the perspective of needing to indulge my creative id. For example, here's a weird take. 
You know who's already unified cognition with mathematics? Douglas Hofstetter, author of the freshman college student classic Goodall Escher Bach, who's written book after book about how the human mind is what he calls a strange loop, i.e. a system capable of fully modeling itself. The logical and mathematical implications of that are, I believe, the framework that will come to underlie psychohistory in the same way quantum mechanics underlies chemistry. This is where, if I were a more competent person, I would have a whole framework worked out by now. But I'm an overconfident asshole with a cheap microphone, so instead I have this. Every two weeks, I'm going to lay out whatever's been bouncing around in my head with this approach. Sometimes it'll get weirdly mathy or self-referential or ranty, but most of the time it will include a message to the future targeted at listeners 200 or 500 or 4,000 years from now. It's not quite Harry Seldon stashing messages in vaults to be played at specific times, but to be honest, I'm kind of into the challenge of trying to outthink the many layers of cultural scrutiny each message may undergo over time. But my ultimate goal isn't really to solve Selden crises. It's to use the adrenaline rush of frequent updates to force myself to define my approach to psychohistory over many iterations of rambling and or prophesying. And I say prophesying because, well, that's what it might turn into. For as long as I can remember, people have been praising the clarity and directness of my thinking, even, in fact, especially, when I just say whatever's obvious to me in the moment. And one of the things that's obvious to me right now, although I'm not sure if I can totally explain it yet, is that this business of putting usable structure around the experience of human cognition is, in fact, the province of religion. Whatever you believe is, definitionally, whatever best explains to you your own subjective experience of existence. Like, successful religions are based on the most inexplicable phenomena, precisely because overwhelmingly inexplicable is how most people feel about their own existence. And so, my suspicion, although it probably sounds delusional, is that as I'm trying to invent psychohistory from first principles of understanding the subjective cognitive experience, what I'll end up with is a pseudo-religion. Not a real one, because I don't believe in any kind of supernatural power, especially when it comes to myself. I am a very flawed and limited human being. If religion is the opiate of the masses, what I may end up with would be more like the methadone of the masses. Something that functionally mimics religion so well that it may as well be one, but specifically avoiding the now very well-demonstrated pitfalls of the real thing. And if that actually works, then logically I could end up being remembered as a prophet simply because that's the label society assigns to people who are good at making sense of human existence, even if their actual prophecies never come true. There's another reason I want to start this fake religion, which isn't that different from the psychohistory thing, but still feels worth saying. I know just enough real anthropology to know that organized religion, not general spirituality, but religion, first evolved as a social tool, a psychological hack that humans constructed together to adjust ourselves to circumstances markedly different than the ones we evolved in. 
The dates vary by location, but five to 10,000 years ago, humanity collectively underwent a huge shift in living, from mostly nomadic hunter-gatherers to permanent year-round settlements, which caused a big problem in social relations. See, when nomadic hunter-gatherers get angry with each other, they have the option of just leaving the band for a few weeks while they cool off. This does not work in agricultural societies, where there's constant maintenance work of processing and growing food, maintaining permanent structures, caring for the intentionally increased number of children. Plus, after a while, the knowledge of how to live by yourself in the wild is forgotten. So we collectively filled that gap with organized religion, which for most of this time also formed the social basis for earthly power structures, like monarchies and holy Roman emperors and what have you. And this worked due to one of the big continuities between these two eras, which is that historically, most people have interacted primarily with people aesthetically similar to themselves. Not necessarily substantially similar, because people have always been individually different but aesthetically similar in the sense of looking broadly like each other, speaking the same languages, sharing similar cultural backgrounds, having similar mannerisms and similar interpretations of other mismannerisms, and so forth. In general, of course, obviously there have always been exceptions, which will be very exciting to get into in the future. But the institutional utility of organized religion lies mostly in supporting that aesthetic cultural conformity in order to align everyone substantially. And now the problem is, after thousands of years of realizing just how badly that can go, we've collectively decided to try for something new. Not all at once, of course, but at least in the American-slash-European-slash-colonizer cultural complex in which I've spent my whole life, the past few hundred years have been wave after wave of successive realizations that, if we want to navigate a world in which your neighbor is someone from a totally different background— or in which you can now post random musings on the internet and be overwhelmed by misinterpretations from people all over the world who didn't share your original context, or in which it's simply impossible for anyone to fully understand anyone else's cultural context at all because it's now so informed by privately consumed media or even the lack of media consumption. Well, we need more. This social arrangement is as different from the one we've been in historically as permanent settlements are from nomadic hunter-gathering, and we need a correspondingly new psychological hack. So, in the spirit of indulging my creative id and wallowing in weirdness, I've decided that if I'm going to commit to being the weirdest wannabe psychohistorian, then I'm going to commit to being the weirdest wannabe prophet, too. After all, if this doesn't work, no one will remember my name anyway, and if it does work, then I'll look even more prophetic for having committed so early. Really, it's a win-win situation. At least, as long as I take some sensible precautions. First of all, I'm not interested in taking on the moral authority people traditionally associate with the word prophet. As I hope I've made clear by now, I don't see myself that way, except in the sense that, perhaps as a delusion brought on by COVID quarantining, I think I have a line on an interesting new way for humanity to understand itself. 
But I don't think that means people in any time period need to attach any undue moral perfection to me. At the same time, I'm aware that the easiest way to compromise any philosophy of this nature is for the originator to turn out to be irredeemably terrible. And while I am a flake and an asshole and everything I've mentioned throughout this episode, I think, I hope, that I am not irredeemably so. In fact, one of my goals for publicly declaring myself a future prophet is to use it as kind of the ultimate moral stim to force myself to grow as a person by giving myself a new way to imagine how my actions may affect humanity after I'm gone. Plus, I'm hoping this will satisfy my innate need for psychological melodrama, allowing me to lead a more responsible day-to-day -day existence. So if you're someone who knows or has known me in real life, listening to this because this podcast has gone viral, and I owe you an apology and or some form of restitution, please consider this my mea culpa, and please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. I actually am trying to be better. Second, in the spirit of a religion that isn't a religion, I want to be clear that I'm not trying to articulate this as a one-time, top-down revelation that can never be changed. In fact, as I'll be discussing in future episodes, shutting off any part of this pseudo-religious philosophy from change will only guarantee its eventual abuse and irrelevancy. This thing should be scientific in form, by which I mean, as it evolves, it should become a framework that accepts updates and changes from anyone, because the rules for judging such updates should become clearer and clearer. In fact, those rules are exactly the content of psychohistory slash this fake religion. It can only exist as a purely self-referential approach, because it must by definition, account for itself in order to make predictions about a future in which it exists, or in order to be maximally useful in aligning people from all different cultural and social contexts without erasing their differences. It's a bit like a person slash strange loop in that way. So, if any of this sounds interesting to you and you'd like to help develop it, feel free to ping me on Twitter or otherwise get in touch with me. This is for everyone. In the next episode, I'll be discussing the parts of this framework that I have worked out to start laying the foundation. In fact, it might take a few episodes to get past all that to messages to the future. Or not? I don't know. It just depends on me and how my weird brain feels. And yes, I will continue working on regular long-form analysis episodes. In fact, I'm very excited to get back to the Midnight Mass one now. Thanks for listening, thinkers and squares. See you in two weeks. Oh yeah, and this song is Next One by Roa. It's pretty great, right? 